Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. <laughs> so actually the opposite of earning money. Of course, you need money to be happy because there's this, there's this baseline, right? I think it's like there's the research says, and I'm going to get it wrong, but I think it's like money makes you happy up to a certain point, $70,000, right. $75,000, I mean, depending on where you live. But the interesting thing is, as you double that number, you get marginal returns. Right. You get like a, a, per, a small percentage point of happiness, doubling yeah. that and doubling that. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazdeh. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now, listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So, Come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. What's up, y'all? Welcome to today's episode of The Greatness Machine. We have an amazing show for you with Ben Nempton, and we talk about so many fun things, about him overcoming depression. You're going to learn about a poem called The Buried Life and how this led to a TV show on MTV where he literally was you know, playing basketball with Obama, how he made a movie, how he created the world's greatest bucket list, and then went out and accomplished 96 out of 100 of these items. We answer questions like, what do you want to do before you die? And, and what are the top five things that people regret on their deathbed and how you can actually get around that and not have those regrets on your deathbed? So such an amazing episode, uh, probably one of my favorites. And I'm so grateful to get to share this with you. Stay tuned and uh, enjoy the show. Guys, welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazday. And boy, do we have a special guest today, my main man. Ben Nempton is in the house. What's up, Ben? Darius, it's good to be here, buddy. How are you? Oh, great to see you again, my friend. I'm so glad to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, man. It's good to be back home. I'm traveling a lot, so anytime I'm home, I'm just so happy. Ben is doing a thing called the Buried Life Movement, and he's co-founder and notable, he's a notable keynote speaker, um, number one bestseller of the book, What Do You Want to Do Before You Die? And, you know... I really think that your your message around creating an amazing life and your approach to it is what's so compelling and what made you such a compelling speaker. But to give a little bit of background, in your first year at university, you, it was cut short by depression, uh, it forced you to drop out of school, and you and some of your buddies created the world's greatest bucket list, got into an old RV, and crisscrossed all around North America, achieving these like insane bucket list items. Uh, you did such a good job at it that Ben 
and his and his and I guess your buddies, the, the you guys of of the Buried Life, you guys got your own TV show on MTV called The Buried Life. It was the number one highest rated show ever on iTunes and Amazon. And you know, you've been called an inspiration by people like Obama and Oprah, and and it's like, man, when you go down that list, that in of itself is a bucket list. So you know, when someone like that graces our stage, we're like, all right. Now, let's see how they present and and dude that like i just like that that's my intro does not even do justice as to what your story is so i'd love for you to kind of like take us back and, and kind of give our audience uh, some background on how did you create this world's biggest greatest bucket list and go out there and get after it because i think a lot of people want to do stuff like that and then and then don't know where to begin and you guys did it and and also i, I want to mention we're going to be talking about your new book that i have man here called the bucket list journal so that just came out and it's a tool and i'll show you i'm already started working on mine but it's a tool to help people create those bucket lists but i'd love to uh, for us to kind of take it back and give us your origin story so it's it's ironic that this whole journey started from quite a dark place for me you know as as you had just mentioned, I unexpectedly got hit with a depression when I was in my first year university when I was going to school in Victoria, BC, where I grew up in, in Canada, um, right off the, you know, the coast of Vancouver. I, it just put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed. So I was you know, feeling pressure to succeed academically because I had an academic scholarship. I was on the national under-19 rugby team, so I really wanted to do well as we were heading to the World Cup in France. I, and, and, and just in general, this is something that I, I guess, I think I just cared about what other people thought a lot. You know, I, I feel as though that's because my parents never put pressure on me. I just felt as though I wanted to really do well. And so I started losing sleep thinking about the world cup, you know, and, and I played a high pressure position as a fly half, which is sort of kick the field goals. You, you're like the quarterback in the, in the field goal kicker in yeah. one. And I missed a big kick and, the championship game in high school. And I was terrified that that would happen at the World Cup. And so I would think about it at night and I'd lose sleep and this anxiety, this, this lack of sleep, this pressure, it all just contributed to me slowly sliding into a depression. And I didn't really realize what was happening because I never experienced anything like that before in my life. So it kind of crept up on me and all of a sudden I couldn't go to school. All, all of a sudden I couldn't go to rugby practice. All of a sudden I, you know, then I couldn't leave the house. And I didn't understand why. I didn't know that other people were experiencing this. I thought I was just, just screwed up. My parents obviously were trying to help and nothing, you know, really did help. I, I wouldn't really talk to a therapist. And so I just was flattened by this thing. And, um, Ultimately, it was my friends who were my saviors in the sense that they rallied me and pulled me out of the house after I dropped out of school to come work with them in a new town for the summer. And uh, then I was forced to get a job. So I started to feel a bit of confidence because I was doing something for myself. You know, I had to, I had to sort of push myself to do something. And then that felt good because I felt a sense of accomplishment. Uh, I also started talking about what I was going through. To my buddies and, and ultimately that led to me talking to a therapist which was the, the biggest piece of the puzzle in terms of my recovery and um i also started meeting different types of people kids that were inspiring kids that were you know creating companies kids that had already traveled around the world and i realized that these kids gave me energy and i thought well this is different like i i, I started to understand some people gave me energy some people drew energy from me and i at that time in my life it was a necessity in my mind that i 
surround myself with people that were going to inspire me. It gave me that energy. So I made this conscious decision that on the way home from that summer away, I was like, okay, I'm going to only surround myself with people that inspire me. Yeah. And that, that, and that ultimately would change my life, that decision. And I still employ that, you know, to this day, trying to surround myself with people that are giving me energy, you know, and also that are doing things that are inspiring because it makes me feel like I can do things that, that, that I didn't think I could do just by nature of seeing my friends do incredible things. It's sort of by osmosis. I feel as though I'm also able to do these things because I know I'm not much different than them because they're my friends. You know, I like, I hang out with them all the time. They're not gods. <laughs> Whereas you see someone that you don't know do something incredible. You, I think the initial reaction is, oh, wow, that's, they're better than me. They're smarter than me. Um, where it's, you see people, you know, do these things, you feel as though, wow, that's, that's incredible. I wonder what I could do. Yeah. And so I was inspired by a buddy that started a clothing line in college. And I just thought, wow, if he did that, I wonder what I could do. And I thought, you know, I want to make a movie. And so there was just one kid that I knew tangentially that made videos. And I called him up. I said, you make these videos. I'd love to make a movie. Do you want to make a movie? And he said, yeah, that sounds great. I got a buddy that would be interested in. And then I was like, okay, great. I'll call your older brother. And, and then the four of us got together and we started talking about making a film. And that was the beginning of The Buried Life. We had no idea what the film was going to be about. We had no idea what we were doing. But we had this thing in common, which was that we all felt as though we had these dreams, but we never tried to go after any of them. And that was the basis of the whole, the whole journey. I ask a question, like backing up, when you... Go into that depression. I, I, you know, we didn't get to talk too much when when you were at GOT just because you had a, a, a pretty packed schedule. And, and but you know, I had the exact same experience when I was nineteen. Mm. Um, was it your sophomore year of college or freshman year of college for you? Freshman. Okay, so mine was sophomore year of college where I actually fell into a, a pretty bad depression. And for me, the way it showed up was like a fog. Like I like get yeah. up and like I was just in a fog all day. Yeah, and it lasted six months. But ironically enough, what got me out of it was I started playing rugby. Mm. you know so i was i was a tight head prop um, <laughs> yeah but um yeah it, it's hard to it, it, you know but but i i, I never understood the, the power of it till i, till I had it so for you did, did, did it was it just one of those things where you just were like not motivated and you were just like feeling down on yourself like how did that show up for you so it started um with this it's this anxiety i mean it was definitely a fog so the sleep was the hardest part for me because uh, I started to not really feel like I could function, right? So you, you, you right. know how important sleep is. So I wasn't sleeping. So right there, I was messed up. You know, I felt like I was in a fog. I, I wasn't able to make decisions. And so this this indecision was the thing that really started to create issues for me because my indecision ultimately would be my decision, which was not doing the thing. So I couldn't decide if I should go to school or not, like if I could go to school. Right. And I would be in this sort of anxious in between where I'd be ready to go to school, but then I couldn't leave. And, you know, I'd be in the car, I parked at the parking lot, but I couldn't get out of the car. Wow. And so uh, this, this, this anxiety was really got me stuck in this indecision. And ultimately, I wouldn't make a decision, which would obviously mean I didn't do the thing. And so that was school, rugby, and then ultimately doing anything. So that was how it showed up. And, and, it, and the sleep, Meg, it just intensified the lack of sleep rather intensified these feelings and the less sleep i got the more intense it got and it, and it all felt like it was it was doubling it, you know it was getting exponentially 
worse because every day I didn't go to school was worse. Every day I didn't go to rugby practice was worse. Yeah. Every day I didn't leave the house was worse. And now, how do I face my friends? How do I face the team or my coach? How do I, you know, how now, how do I catch up in school? I've already missed another day. And so this, this was compounding and the negativity was compounding. The darkness was compounding. And I remember just at night, just feeling so just scared, you know, that, that this darkness, I didn't know how and, and deep and dark it could go. And that was the really terrifying thing for me was not understanding what this feeling was and how bad it might get because it already felt so bad but i was terrified that it could get worse and you know it's so hard to go through your first mental health crisis because you don't have any experience right you also don't know yourself well enough to understand what you need to do to come out of it and now after going through that and after experiencing a couple you know depression since then I learn things about myself every time. I learn, I know what's good for me. I, I now have a support network. I now have habits that I know are good for me. I can see the signs earlier. Mm. Whereas then I didn't know what the signs were. All of a sudden I was just fricked. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just messed up. And I was like, I, what's happening? It just felt like there's, there's no way for me to get out of this. Where now, you know, if I start losing sleep, I'm like, okay, what's going on here? I need to take a break. I need to you know, go hang out with some friends. I need to go on a trip and, and, and relax. I need to make sure that I prioritize exercise, you know, and, and get some support. I need to talk with my therapist. I need to, you know, do these things that I know are good for me. Whereas then I didn't have that understanding. And that's why I think it's so difficult when people go through their first mental health crisis is that they, they just don't know what to do. And they don't you typically talk about it until it's a little bit too late. And um, they don't have the tools necessarily to help themselves get out of it. So in, in, in retrospect, it's been a huge gift that I went through that and came out of it because I was able to understand what I needed and learn about myself and build a support network. And also, you know, now that's what I talk about, really. Mm -hmm. You know, like I figured out that there's this big connection between your personal passions, your bucket list and your mental health, right? There, there's this... There's this very real connection between doing the things that you love that typically we don't give ourselves permission to do, or we push them indefinitely because we think it's selfish to do these things oftentimes, or we don't, we tell ourselves we don't have enough time. And, but when we do these things, we're more ourselves. We, we, we're, we feel more alive. We have more energy. And then that fuels us to be the person that we truly are. And ultimately, if I, if I if I'm honest with myself, anytime I start to feel depressed, it's because I'm not being true to myself. There's something in my life where I am not following my true self. And when I if I'm honest with myself, back then, I didn't really love rugby. Right? I was doing wow. it because it was cool. It's like football in the south. Like if you're a star rugby player, you know, it's like you get a lot of attention. You're you know you're the cool kid. It's just I did it primarily because of this feeling of wanting to fit in. And, right. you know, I was in studying kinesiology because I, the only thing I knew was sports. So I felt like, well, I guess I should be a physiotherapist or sports medicine. Wow. I didn't really know what I wanted. I didn't really know who I was. And ultimately this buried life journey was this journey to find my true self because this list was the reflection of who I was. And so when you write your list, it's not just adventure and travel. It's not just skydive, travel to Europe. That's one 
category of your life, but you want to think about all the categories of your life that will bring you back to your true self, right? So like, what are your mental health goals, physical health goals, financial goals, professional goals, relationship goals, intellectual, what do you want to learn? And all of these categories that are going to just bring you back to who you are. And I think today it's more, it's harder than it ever has been to be true to yourself. Everything pulls you away from that. Social media pulls you away from that. Being disconnected to people pulls you away from that. And so for me, when I start to feel down, there's something in my life where I'm not being authentic. There's something where I'm not being true to myself, whether it's my work or in my life. And so I need to stop and take a look at that. And that ultimately for me is the big goal is how can you live your true self? And it's ironic that the poem, The Buried Life, that this whole journey was inspired by that was written 150 years ago, talked about the same thing. And it's, there's this line in The Buried Life called, it goes, you know, tracking our true original course. And I think that that's all we're trying to do is just track our true original course. And I think your bucket list, if written properly, allows you and reminds you of your true course. Yeah. And helps you follow it. Yeah. I want to read you this. I got a, a gift from a friend yesterday and, and I, then I want to move into like your, what you did with your guys bucket list because that, and, the, and go back to the movie. Cause, cause it's such an amazing story, but my, my friend sent me a gift and he sent me a floor. Uh, I, well, it's a, it's a unicorn head. I'm a unicorn person and it's mm-hmm. a fluorite unicorn head. And he wrote me this little card. It's an amazing guy. Kevin Domi wrote Darius. Many don't realize how much power they yield to create the exact journey of their desire. In fact, many don't realize their struggles are actually manifested from unrecognized desires. Mm. And I, and I, you just made me think of that. I literally just got this yesterday, but you know, it sounds to me like, like you were, you were doing, you were not living an authentic life. It, your body said, and I, I call this when God throws you off the cliff, God Mm -hmm. threw you off the cliff and said, Hey, Ben, go figure it out. And mm-hmm. so you, and, and when you're 18 and that happens, I was 19 when it happened to me, you don't know what to do to your point. And you, and you're in deep, you're, you're in deep and you, you got to find your way out. And obviously you did. I'd love to move to the, you, you found your way out and then you started surrounding yourself with people that inspired you. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter and Gamble, Ben and Jerry and supply and demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Shopify. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius Mishazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life, canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. I'd love to go to the point where you made the movie and, and then let's talk about because the movie, like, like, like when you, that it's, it's such an amazing juxtaposition from when you were struggling that you found yourself and kind of your head came above water and you guys started doing these cool projects. But t- tell us more about that. So we, you know, so I got together with three buddies. I, we didn't really know each other particularly well too which is interesting that this they would become my you know my partners for the next 10 15 years but we had this ultimate desire to create something meaningful i think was really it you know we we wanted to make something just cool that we like loved that, that would inspire our friends to do something and just you know and make make it some sort of impact and the manifestation was of that what came out of this poem that my friend Johnny was assigned to an English class when he was in his freshman year. And the poem is called The Buried Life. And and so he read this poem because it was sort of homework. And this poem articulated the feeling that we were feeling, which is that we had all these things that we want to do, but we hadn't done them because they were buried. And we had these moments when we were inspired to go after those things, but then the day-to-day buried them. You know, life got in the way. We would push them, push them, and ultimately never do them. And so we thought, wow, this dude wrote this poem 150 years ago. So we're not the first people to ever feel like this. Right. Uh, so why don't we take this name for our documentary that we're making? Let, let's call it The Buried Life. At that point, we still didn't know what the, the doc was going to be about. But this was the beginning of us figuring out what were our buried dreams. And the way we figured that out was through a question. And the question was that we asked ourselves is, what do you want to do before you die? Because the only way that we could cut through the BS and get perspective was by thinking about our death. And that made us think about our life because it allowed us to in, internalize the idea and the, the reality that we're not going to be here forever. And so if we're going to die one day, what do we want to do? And you know, now I'm very grateful that we were thinking about death so early because I think it's just, just a powerful tool to keep you on your course. You know, and, and I think we don't think about death enough. We don't, we, but we don't talk about death enough. And it's something, it's the only thing that we can rely on. 
in our lives, you know, is that we're going to die. And we just, we feel like we're just going to be here for much longer than we, than we are. And that's why we push these things. We think we have time. And the research shows that, that, you know, on your deathbed, you regret the things you didn't do, not the things that you did. And so we, we're, we're, it's, just, it's a trap, right? That we feel as though we have all this time. Even if we're lucky and we live to 90, we still continually perpetually push these personal goals. So, you know, at this point, we had no idea that this was the, the reality. We just stumbled upon this poem and, 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 and liked the idea of thinking about, you know, hey, we're going to die. What do we want to do? And so the answer to the question, what do you want to do before you die? There were, there were actually quite a few answers, and that's how the bucket list populated. That was the, the, the mechanism we used to make our list, was thinking about what are all these buried dreams. So we wrote our bucket list, and we thought, okay, we're going to go on a road trip. We're going to cross off as many things in our list as possible, but we're also going to help other people accomplish their bucket list items because we're going to need help from other people. So let's ask strangers what do you want to do before you die and if we can help hmm. them do that thing then we will and was so that, can i ask a question so so was it originally like was that like a natural strategy or were you like what do we want to do before we die and you're like hey then someone's like oh hey we should we should ask other people too like what was that always part of the idea or did that evolve it actually all in the beginning it was the initial idea oh that, wow yeah because okay. because we didn't think anyone would care about our list you know, so we thought, let's make a film about asking people, what do you want to do before you die? And understand and, and see whether or not they've done that thing and why they have or haven't done it. Because mm. we're 20 years old. We have no idea what the hell we want to do. Maybe we can learn from other people about why or why not they've, they've pursued these things. But also, then we can help them if we can. Nice. And we thought, we'll do our list on the side, but that won't be in the film because who cares? <laughs> uh, but... The irony was that as we started to travel, I mean, we just sort of threw together this, this road trip. We bought an RV, bought a secondhand camera, built a simple website with our bucket list and a contact page, threw parties as fundraisers so we could pay for gas, you know, borrowed this little RV and, and hit the road. And this is in 2006, by the way. And what happened was unexpectedly, people started to hear about it and they wanted to help. People saw our bucket list. They started sending us emails. They were like, I saw ride a bull. I can get you guys on a bull. I, I saw get up on a hot air balloon. My friend, you know, can help you out. My, you know, all, all these emails wanting us to cross things off our list. And, and then people sending us their dreams, asking for our help. And we got overwhelmed by the response. And very quickly, we started to learn that people actually were energized by the idea of the four of us accomplishing our dreams. It made them think about their dreams. It made them want to go after their bucket list just because we were going after ours. And these were the seeds that were planted that ultimately I would, I would realize that there's this very powerful ripple effect that happens when you do what you love. And I think this comes back to your quote of, you know, doing those things that are truly important to you when you when you're true to yourself and when you pursue the things that you love, you inspire other people to do the same. Right. You give other people permission to do those things because they see you doing those things and they think, wow, that's so cool. I wonder, I wonder what I want to do, which is what happened to me when my friend started a clothing line. It made me think, what can I do? So we started to see people around the world go after their bucket list just because we were going after ours. And so this two-week road trip, we thought at the end of it, we thought, we got to keep doing this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then this 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 two week road trip 
ended up lasting 10 or 15 years. What, um, let me ask a question going back to the beginning of it. Cause I think a lot of times, like the people hear that such a 10 to 15 big thing, we're going to be talking about some of the massive bucket list items you guys crossed off, but it's always the starting point. I think where people get stuck, right? Mm-hmm. So you guys obviously, you know, conspired to do this two week trip. Word got out, you're doing it. What was the first bucket list item you guys completed that was someone else's? And what was the first one you did of yours? Because obviously there was a first. There was a first. And I think you're right. That's the hardest part is the first step. And, and I think that's where most people stop because of the right. fear, right? The fear of, is this going to work? Right. What are people going to think? And we almost stopped. The really? Night, the night before we were set to leave on our road trip in 2006, we took the RV to a mechanic and we asked him, is this going to make it back? Because we don't have the money to tow this sucker if it breaks down on the side of the road. And the mechanic said, no, this is a piece of crap. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So you guys were like, oh, shit. So we sat down on the curb that night and we were like, what the, what are we doing? Like, this is just, we hadn't even told our friends what we were doing. You know, like it, it was a very hard thing to explain to people. Yeah. But, and I, and I, like, in my mind, I was like, this, guys, this is a dumb idea. We, we you know, I'm, I'm very logical, you know, I'm right brain. I just like sort of thought this is not going to work. And, and we talked about it. And I remember Dave, one of the guys, the guys, we've come this far. We got to do it. Yeah. And, uh, and we said, okay, let's let's go for it. And so we and, we, and so we hit the, hit the road. The first thing we crossed off that that um, the next day was <laughs> uh, be a knight in shining armor was 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 the list item to go about your day to day as a knight in full armor, full <laughs> chainmail, big sword. We I was able to get a full suit of armor on loan for free for two hours. Usually, this woman rented it by the day. A helmet. You know, literally, you, you like go to a castle in Ireland, and there's a, a a knight like in the hallway. We got that whole armor, and I put it on. Went downtown Victoria to film this list item. It's hot, it's August. I'm sweating. I can barely move. It's like fifty or sixty pounds of armor. Wow! And we called all the media down in Victoria and promised a giant stunt. By the way, the first thing we tried to do, we wanted to skydive into downtown. Oh my gosh. We, were, we had no clue what we were doing. We didn't know you had to clear airspace. We didn't even know how to skydive. <laughs> so we were like, okay, that's not going to work. So we're going to do the, the armor. So we show up and all the media is waiting because Victoria is such a small town, nothing going on. So we'd convince them somehow to show up. And I'm, I, I'm like starting to get nervous. I'm like, dude, what are we doing? I can't even walk in this thing, let alone do a stunt. And uh, I remember Johnny said, well, you know, you're a knight. You can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> so... I kicked the door open in front of the camera men and women that were out there and I walked out awkwardly and it was very awkward silence as I sort of stepped out. But at that moment, there just so happened to be a six year old boy walking with his mom, holding his mom's hand, walking down the street and his, in his other hand, he's holding a plastic sword. So he sees me this night walk out of this crappy Harvey and his eyes go wide. He's in disbelief. He doesn't say anything. He just lets go of his mom's hand, runs over to me, kneels down, and and bows his head. Oh, you knighted him. And I knighted him. Oh, yeah. yeah. No way. It was either that or chop off his head. No. I, just, I, 
<laughs> I decided to knight him. <laughs> Can you imagine, dude? That kid, you just rocked his life. He's like, holy shit. Yeah. That's a nut. Like, can you imagine that? Yeah, he was fired up. Oh, he amazing. was fired up. But the crazy thing was now, all of a sudden, all these kids started to come over. You know, and there's, I had all these kids around me on one knee. I was knighting all these kids. Oh, my God. And I was walking them across the street. And anyhow, this photographer was there and he took a photo. And the next day we leave for our road trip. We're, we're excited. We already crossed off a list item. It was, you know, we deemed it a success. We pick up the newspaper as we leave town. We're like, holy shit. We crossed off two list items yesterday. The first was make the front page of the newspaper. Oh, no way. So there I was as a knight on the front page of our local newspaper, carrying my sword with the kid with his plastic sword. And it said like a great day to be a knight or something like that. And that started this media uh, whirlwind where then it was the front page of the provincial newspaper and then it was national news. And then, you know, we, we, would, we would drive up to radio stations in every town and just camp out until they put us on the radio. We wouldn't leave. And, uh, and so that started this whole just craziness that began that was this media kind of a sort of whirlwind. So it was a, it all it started from that first list item. Hey gang, Darius Mashaze here. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. So listen, I know we have a lot of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and business owners out there that listen to the show. And right now, if you're one of those folks and you're doing, let's call it a bare minimum of seven figures and above in your business, then what I'd like to do is give you an offer right now. How would you like to get your hands on the frameworks that I actually used to scale my last company, which started off as a small little seven-figure company to over $100 million in annual revenue. And I did it in less than two years, and I did it without costly growing pains, without the headaches that, that you usually experience when you are scaling your business. So if you're one of those folks and you're trying to grow your company, but you're, you're finding yourself stuck in that day-to-day, if you're one of the listeners and you're getting grinded, this is your respite from getting grinded on your business, you're listening to our show, and you're dealing with the breakdowns, you're dealing with inefficiencies, and you know, you've know you got that firefighter suit on and all the problems lining on your desk, and you're, you're not doing the work you're supposed to be doing, which is working on the business instead of in it, then what I'm about to talk to you about for the next call 60 seconds, this is precisely for you. Real quickly, though, if you don't already know this about me, prior to starting The Greatness Machine, I spent 20 years of my life as a founder and CEO of real-world companies. And during that time, I actually grew my companies to over $1.2 billion with a B in bootstrap revenue. In fact, uh, we scaled our, my last company from 30 to 1,000 employees. And we did it in just 36 months. And we did it all by using a three-step framework that I call my scale map method. So that, of course, brings us to the purpose of this here mid-roll ad. Yes, this is what the podcast producers call these things. Recently, I created a 30-minute training. And what it does is it walks you step-by-step through all of my scale map method frameworks. And you can watch it right now for free when you go to DariusScale.com. That's my first name, Darius. Scale, S-C-A-L-E.com. And what these frameworks do is they fix... They simplify and they streamline every single aspect of your business. 
and they do it without the need for complicated scaling systems that are typically way too difficult and way too time consuming for a busy CEO like you and from like myself was to implement. So if you want a simple and you want a proven path to remove yourself from the day-to-day operations, just like I did, so that you can do what you're supposed to be doing, which is leading your company to record growth without the headaches and without the growing pains, go to DariusScale.com. That's www.DariusScale.com. Watch the short video and I'll see you guys on the inside. Now, back to the show. From the moment you did the night stunt, from back to when you guys almost quit, what was the difference in time between those two decisions, those two actions? The time when you almost quit, and then was it like two days? Days, yeah. Because so, one, two days, yeah. So within 24 to 48 hours, you went from almost quitting. This is, this is, this is like such a great analogy for like how quickly your life can change, right? Yeah. You almost quit. You went from almost quitting. I wonder how many people almost do actually quit. Yeah. And don't take that one step that 24 or 48 hours later, this amazing thing happens where you become, you know, national news just by making that simple decision. And, and there's a quote from the alchemist that you just remind me of, which is when you want something, the whole world conspires in order for you to achieve it. And mm-hmm. like, that's, that's, mm-hmm. that's one of these moments, man. A hundred percent. And you have to push through that discomfort. That is the, the, the fear, the anxiety, the discomfort that stops whatever the statistic is. You know, I mean, I've heard it's 99% of people just stop right before they're going to make it. You know, cannot underestimate the power of, of persistence because you don't know what's possible until you're actually doing it. You yeah. can't even imagine yourself doing that thing, typically. And so you, you don't know what's possible until you're doing it. And uh, there, there's that a great cartoon image that comes to mind where it's someone with a pickaxe tunneling, you know, through the dirt. And they're this close to the big treasure chest. Right. Right. And, and he's turning around and say, ah, fuck, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. You know, and I, and I think that that is a, a lot of times the truth, you know, it's just you, you look at these people that you admire and you think, wow, they just, uh, they just, they just figured it out. They were just, you know, they're gifted and they got lucky, got lucky, you know? And the truth is they just worked their ass off. They didn't give up, you know, they just, they, they, they put themselves out there in the beginning. It was uncertain. They weren't who they were in the beginning, you know, for the most part. I mean, some people are, 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 are handed something, but you know, for the most part, they, move through that discomfort. And, and I think what I realize now is that discomfort is a sign that you're growing, that you're learning something about yourself. And something always good, in my experience, happens from pushing through that. It may not be the outcome that you think is going to happen, but just the simple fact of trying and falling on your face and failing miserably at least you learn something about yourself. Yeah. And that becomes the net uh, positive. Yeah, it's, it's such a great point. I was talking to my sister about this. I said, you know, it's interesting is every single time I've had these times in my life, I'm actually, even right now, you know, I sold a company and I'm kind of in this in-between stage where so the one I'm most uncomfortable is when I level up. 
It, like, yeah. like it sucks. I hate the uncomfortable part, but I, I have like three or four instances in my life where I would have these really uncomfortable time periods and they're sometimes they go on for years. And then the next outcome is like a bigger, bigger, big, right? It's, it's like, I, I love, I, I had to grow and I wasn't ready for what I needed to be ready for. And I had to grow through that adversity. And you guys obviously did that, you know, by putting yourself out there. So, so the two weeks and during that two week period, you guys did a bunch of these bucket list items. How did that translate into the bigger, you know, walk us through the bigger project because it, you guys went on to doing something really major. So after the two week road trip, we were blown away by the response. And so we we're like, Oh crap, we got to keep doing this. You know, this is, uh, this is, this has struck a chord. So we went back to school. We, we did through bigger parties to fundraise. We started to put together a, a package to go to sponsors for this, for, you know, to sort of get some funding to sell again, so we could raise money for the documentary. We got Levi's on board. They, Helped us buy this old purple transit bus. We we hired a crew from LA to follow us. And the next summer we did two months on the road. Bigger list items, you know, sing the national anthem to a packed stadium, help kids uh go on a shopping spree that uh, had uh brain cancer, you know, helped a guy in San Francisco furnish his house that that uh you know he didn't have enough money for furniture or or a bed or anything. So worked with a a, a church that just people just we just did it a, a an announcement at the end of the service and said, Hey, is this guy in your community? You know, anyone have anything to donate? And they totally furnished this guy's house, rode a bull that summer, you know, had all these incredible experiences and, uh, and it continued to, to, as you said, level up. And ultimately, you know, slowly these, these list items that we thought were, you know, when we wrote them down in the summer of 2006, there was, there was no doubt in my mind they would never happen. They were, they were pipe dreams. We we would think of the most impossible things and write them down and laugh. <laughs> Play basketball with Obama, write a New York Times bestseller, have a beer with Prince Harry, sit with Oprah, right? You know, make a TV show, and just slowly over time, they they all came off the list, and we started to understand that you know, you just I guess anything's possible. You know, if you if you're you put your mind to it. You, you have the ability to do anything. And then these these times when we stepped into someone else's life to help them do that thing that was so important to them was a an incredibly meaningful experience where we felt this intense connection with someone because this clearly meant so much to them. And then we're immediately bonded with them. And 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 that would stick with us you know and so we this this resonance this this feeling that, that resonated with us of um helping someone else ultimately was even more impactful than the big ticket list items what, what so going to that direction that when you think of all the things you guys did for other people what would what was the most meaningful one that you accomplished when you're like without like when you're like that's my best one like 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 if i could have a hundred of those i'd take a hundred of those so yeah, it's it's a it's such a tricky. It's like asking who's your favorite kid. <laughs> oh, my kids already know which one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy. <laughs> yeah, no, easy. Uh, I, um, younger one. I tell them every day. No, uh, the <laughs> what uh, you know one that uh, I think I'm thinking about recently is so we're in D.C. We're trying to play basketball with President Obama. 
we, we went to see some of the sites in DC and asked these two guys in their 60s, what's, you know, what do you want to do before you die? And they said, oh, you know, it's funny. We're doing, we're doing it right now. We haven't seen each other in 10, 15 years. And uh, we've always wanted to come visit DC. And so this is, we're doing it. And we said, well, it's, it's great. What, what else? And they thought about it. They said, you know, they probably reconnect with our other buddies. We haven't seen them in 40 years. We used oh. to all go to the same uh, part of, of, of a main. And this, we called it, there was this like uh, swimming hole that we would go to every day in the summer. And the four of us would, would hang out there and, you know, and we haven't seen them in 40 years. So we were able to track down those two other friends. And we, we surprised the two original buddies with the two other friends at the swimming hole. We were able to orchestrate uh, this moment where wow. they surprised them back there at that uh, original spot. They hadn't seen each other in 40 years. And immediately, the, the four guys were back to being 14, 15 years old, best friends. And so what was really cool about that was, one, it reminded us of us in 40 years. And I think, too, what was special is they continued to meet up every year after that. Oh, wow. This became the, the, the first of many. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. and, uh, and one of the gentlemen, uh, two, three years ago, passed away from cancer. Wow. And uh, he sent an email out saying how meaningful this reconnection was to him in his life. And so now when I look at, you know, in, in, in the Bucket List Journal, there's the top five regrets of the die from um, Ronnie Ware, who wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Die. And one of the top five regrets that people have at the end of their life is, I wish I would have stayed in contact with friends. Yeah. That no. doesn't cost any money. No. That, that's a phone call. That's an email. That's a text. That's organizing a trip. One of the top five regrets that people have at the end of their life I wish I would have stayed in contact with friends. And this is what happened here, right? Life got in the way, swept up by day to day. And I know when you look at the top five regrets, they are not, they don't have anything to do with money, <laughs> right? You don't, you, you don't say, no way, money doesn't buy happiness. <laughs> yeah. So you, exactly. That's <laughs> so number one, which is really the purpose of why I do what I do. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. That's the biggest regret people have at the end of their life, which the bucket list is just a device to remind yourself of who you are. So hopefully that number one forces you to slow down and think about what you want, because that's the first step is you need to actually stop and slow the fuck down so that you're thinking about what do I want? Because a lot of times we're living for what was, is expected of us unconsciously. We don't even really realize that we're not living for ourselves. And I think that's the trickiest part is that we're on autopilot. Yeah, It's not like our dad said, you have to be a lawyer and, and you're being a lawyer. Yes, I'm sh- that happens a lot. You know, you get pressure from your parents and you get on a path. But I think more often than not, it's what we think we should be doing. Right. It's what's expected of us. And that is 
a slippery slope because the awareness may not even be there. Yeah. We're operating at 75%. As you said, you woke up in a fog. But when you're in a fog for one year, five years, 10 years, that fog becomes your, your normal. Yeah. You know, it's like someone that's, that's, that's sick. You're sick for long enough. You don't even realize that, that what it's like to feel better. And so I think this is what happened is, is we unconsciously get going down this path because we're like, oh, this is what you, this is what you do. And, and so you, you really need to stop and, and figure out how can I reflect and make sure that I'm on my true course, that I'm doing the things that are, that are truly important to me. They're going to bring me joy and happiness. And sometimes that's not thinking or following your brain. It's following your, your, your hot heart and it's following feelings. So it's, it's, it's following this, this, what am I curious about or what excites me when I think about it? And those are the roads to follow. And so. That I, you know, just a list is a great uh, way to force yourself to slow down, right? It's not going to work yeah. for everyone. Whatever device you can figure out works for you to understand what those things are and then keep yourself accountable to those things is, is the goal, you know, and, and, and we can talk all about that, but just to kind of quickly go through the top five regrets, because I think they're interesting. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. <laughs> yeah. So actually the opposite of earning money. Of course, you need money to be happy because there's this, there's this baseline, right? I think it's like, there's the research says, and I'm going to get it wrong, but I think it's like money makes you happy up to a certain point, $70,000, right. $75,000, I mean, depending on where you live. But the, the interesting thing is, as you double that number, you get marginal returns, right? You get like a, a, per, a small percentage point of happiness, doubling yeah. that and doubling that. And so I wish I would wouldn't work so hard. Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Nice. I wish I would have stayed in touch with old friends. And I wish I would have let myself be happier, which oh. I think comes back to the list as well is giving yourself permission to do those things that are important. Yeah. And so uh, there's not many ties to money here. You know, there's not many ties to power or, uh, or, or you know, that, okay. that, 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 you know, you, did, you don't hear many people doing eulogies saying, wow, Darius, man, he was loaded. Just crushed it, made so much dough. I don't know him that well, but, you know, but he definitely <laughs> it, gave a lot of money away. Oh, yeah, he sure did. Right at the end there. Yeah, right, <laughs> right, 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 right when he was in a coma. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Like Warren Buffett said something like, he's like the, the like the saddest you know person is the person that's done well financially and has and has no relationships. You know, that's a yeah. like, that's a tragedy of a life. And yeah. uh, what's funny is is what I'm hearing you say is my takeaway is what relationship do you have with those around you and with yourself? And I, I have a coach, Coach Robert, who's a former guest on the show. Uh, and he talks about am I living a life in my essence? Yeah. Right. Am I living a life in my essence? And, you know, I love, I love that top five list of regrets, you know, because it's like you have so much control over that. It's amazing. Uh, I, you know, I know we're, we're running out of time here. You go for 10 more? Yeah, of course. All right, cool. So you guys, and I, I really appreciate that story about what the number one thing you did for, for, for others. Um, obviously, in the book, you talk about, well, in the, the new book, The Bucket List, um, uh, journal, 
is a, is a tool really for what what folks can you know for themselves. But in your talks, you went through a ton of these other items you did, but this led to a ton of amazing opportunity for you. And like we talked about playing basketball with Obama and Oprah, and you know, did, did you guys sing like the national anthem at a at a professional like sports game? Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, which is which was difficult because we we had to do the Canadian anthem, of course. <laughs> so you know, there, we had to find a uh, a game in Canada. We we did an NBA game. It was. Um, it was the Phoenix Suns versus the Portland Trailblazers, but because Steve Nash, who played for the Suns, you know, three-time MVP, uh, he, it was uh, an exhibition game, so they were doing it in Vancouver, and so we were able to finagle a uh, a spot singing the anthem, which was hilarious because I think we told them we were very good singers. Oh, you're like we're we're, we're like we're like boys to men from Canada. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they, and and they believed you. Like, didn't they want to hear a demo? There was like, they, you know, we 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 were able to finagle it. We we said um, we we connected with a tenor who usually did the anthem, and he uh, said that he would help us get ready for it. And oh, it was a total disaster. Did you, so <laughs> you know what we did? We did. We told as soon as we got out there, we we said to the audience, we said, you know, we we asked everyone to sing along as loud as they could, so that they hopefully didn't hear us. <laughs> And did you guys was this during the the TV show on MTV? This is pre MTV. So we did we we toured on our own for years, and uh, we actually one of the things we did walk was walk the red carpet, and we we crashed the MTV Video Awards in Vegas. This is in two thousand seven, and we we got matching women's suits from a thrift store. We cleaned our purple bus. We found the back entrance to the, the awards where all the limos were going in. We saw people handing a red card to the security guy. So that, that we thought that's, this is how we got to get in the awards. We got to pretend like we're going and we don't have, we got to, we misplaced our VIP card and our tickets or whatever. What we ended up doing is we conjured up this, this, this scheme where we pretended we were filming a secret pilot for MTV where we actually drafted a fake email from the CEO of MTV at the time, Judy McGrath, said, sent us an email, quote unquote, that said, gentlemen, looking forward to seeing you at the awards. Remember, no one knows about this secret pilot. Your tickets are inside. You know, we'll, we'll see you inside. <laughs> and we rolled up to the VMAs. We're in this purple transit bus. We have our whole film crew filming. So that's what we have as our secret weapon is like, we're filming this. Yeah. We show up. We just, we say we're late for the red carpet. Our tickets are inside. It's a secret pilot. No one knows about it except for Judy McGrath. Uh, and we just made a shitstorm at this VIP entrance. There's now it's backed up. There's tons of limos behind us. They're trying to call in radio. And do you guys know about this? Blah, blah. They're finally like, okay, just go this way to get out of the way. We go left. We just keep going. We just drive honking the horn into the throngs of people that are right outside the entrance of the awards everyone starts like you know who's this who's this we bust out first camera guy second camera guy and then we just run out kind of covering our faces i think people thought we were the band the plain white tees (laughs) at the time they were semi-big anyways red ropes open red ropes open we get all the way onto the red carpet i get up into the vip room with my camera i start interviewing celebrities asking them what they want to do before they die Johnny gets into the awards. He's filming. This would never happen today. He has no. a 
camera yeah. inside the VMAs filming. Finally, we leave the awards. Cut to two years later. We take that footage. We cut our own pilot of us crashing the awards. We get a meeting with MTV. We show them the pilot. They had no idea we had crashed the awards. So <laughs> the irony is this fake pilot that we pretended we were making and crashing the MTV Video Awards, we turned into a real pilot that we sold as our show. So that whole stunt ended up getting us the show. We end up meeting Judy McGrath after we had faked the email two years later at the upfronts, which is when they announce all the shows, right? We had sold the show. We're doing it. We're super nervous. Is she going to, does she know about this? Like, is she going to hate us? She thought it was amazing. Oh, of course. It, it was amazing. That's, yeah. uh, that's amazing. So that turned into like a MTV version. I, I'm assuming you guys were doing the exact same thing, but now you just had MTV putting the bill backing it. Was it, was it that essentially what happened? Yeah. So now, and, and we did this as executive producers. So we had, we actually got offered a show in Canada years before, but they, we weren't going to be in control. And uh, for us, the biggest thing was to make something that our friends were going to like. And yeah. that meant that we had to be in creative control. And so we, kudos to MTV. They, 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 under, they, they got it. They were like, the only way we can mess this up is by stopping you guys doing what you're already doing. And yeah. so we got EP credits. We drove our purple bus down to LA and started, started executive producing our very first show. And it was a very different show that was typically, that, that was, that was, that was um, you know, typically reality TV is just totally scripted. Right. And so we were like, nope, we're doing this all real. And wow. so it was a big risk because we'd film stuff and then we'd have to get permission to, to, to air it after. So we'd streak a field and get away, try to get away. We crashed the Playboy Mansion, you know, all these weird, crazy things. We, pulled off and then we had to get permission afterwards, which is a whole nother story. So this whole journey in, in television was, you know, us trying to make these impossible things happen, but just the four of us and also helping other people achieve their dreams. So every show, every episode was something on our list, helping someone else. And uh, yeah, that's, that's ultimately how we got the show. Oh my gosh, man. man your story by the way, I, like just so the audience know, I listened to 90 minutes of you doing an amazing talk. And like for anyone that and a lot of our listeners are involved in some big organizations, Ben as a keynote is incredible. But like to hear this, these details of the story, I, I was just thinking I'm going to watch the show with my kids so they can see what it's like for people to live their, their bucket list. So, you know, man, like your life is, you know, like, where do you go from here? Like, like, it's funny when I was in college, I went to college at UC Santa Barbara and and I went to a party where the backyard of the house because where all the kids live is the ocean right and i remember right, my right. friend i said where the fuck do you go from here right like <laughs> i when know you... exactly where you are talking about yeah I went to a party there when we spoke there and i was like what is going on yeah where do you go from here when you're 20 and your backyard's the pacific ocean but yeah. yeah like when you're in your early 20s and you do all these amazing bucket list items where do you go from here, man? Like, like what's next? I want to hear all about what's next and you know, I'll get you out of here. I know, I know you're, you're really busy, but yeah. Where, where do you go from here? Where do you, where do you go from there, man? <laughs> well, I think, you know, that uh, there was, I think there was a moment after that where there was a real reckoning where I was like, where do we go from here? And, and it was, uh, and we and took a nosedive, right? Cause it's sort of like, how do we, it wasn't sustainable to continue continually one upping ourselves. 
And, um, and then what I, what I realized that this is not about these huge accomplishments. It's, it's about using, it's about this idea of following the things that are truly important to you and creating a life that is true to yourself. And if that life includes these big things, amazing, go after them. Yeah. But if, if not, that's great. You know, it's just what, what, what is the life that you want and how can you remind yourself to stay on track? Because the reality is, is that the reason why we don't do these things is because there's no deadlines. And right. so if you don't create accountability around these personal goals by writing your list, by sharing your list, by having accountability, by having a deadline, by creating rewards. And by the way, all of these things are like the reason the bucket list journal exists is to create accountability around these goals. You're, you're not going to do them if you don't have that accountability. And if, if you, you know, the other big problem with personal goals is that we wait to feel inspired to go after them, but the inspiration never hits, right? We're, we're, we're waiting for the perfect time. Right. And so you have to create your own inspiration by taking action. And I think the problem is, is that you said like that, that first step that we don't usually take is because we love to plan everything out perfectly and we over plan. And then we forget that action is a plan. Yeah. Right. Like action is a plan. You figure it out as you go. And so, you know, moving through free fear, um, creating inspiration by taking action, building accountability, you know, so these are the things that now I've learned is like, I was after achieving these, these, these goals and, and, and looking at like, why, why don't people do this? Like, this isn't as hard as, as you think. Right. And then you look at the research behind the science of goals and you realize like, wow, this is a big problem. 76% of people on their deathbed, their biggest regret in their life is I wish I would have lived my life for me. Wow. And so that is terrifying to think that you would live your entire life and reach your deathbed. And when it's too late, realize, shit, I blew it. Yeah. This life is not a dress rehearsal, man. You know? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, exactly. And, and I think that just understanding that and now, and then understanding, okay, what are the problems? Why does that happen? And those are those three barriers, right? That, that they're outlined in the journal. And then it's like, okay, now let's start to figure out how I can keep accountable to these things. I need to share them with my family. I need to share them with my partner. I need to share these goals with my friends and move through the fear of what other people think or the fear of failure so I can give people the opportunity to actually help me. So yeah. that they know this is important to me so they can support me, you know, so that I can ask them for help. And so, you know, you sort of say like, what's next? Well, like, my goal now is to so hopefully help people wake them up to the fact that you don't need to wait until you have a near-death experience to get perspective. You don't need to wait until someone close to you dies. You know, they, those are the things that you hear about all the time. My dad died and everything changed. Right. I had, I, I got cancer and, 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 and now I, I live my life different. Why does it take a traumatic experience to give us that slap in the face to be like, okay, I don't have much time. Right. And so if you're able to keep death close to you, 
it is a real gift. And, 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 and so any way you can internalize that, that mortality and remind yourself, I, I have an app on my phone that reminds me I'm going to die five times a day. It's called We Croak. And it just says a notification says, just a reminder, you're going to die. And then you click on it and there's a quote that talks about some sort of <laughs> idea that, you know, this is not permanent, you know? Oh and, my gosh, I'm writing that down. Sorry. Yeah. It's, and so like, I, I just think that I was talking about this last night with a group of guys. We, we have this, this dude's dinner and, you know, my friend's mom passed away two months ago. Yeah. You know, it's it just, you just don't think that it's, that it's going to happen to you and, and, and hopefully it doesn't, but, but man, like you, it will, because this is yep. the only thing we can count on is that your parents are going to die. You're going to die. And, and, and that is actually a liberating idea because it puts things in perspective. And, you know, you look at the top five regrets of the dying, you know, you want to re reverse engineer your life to not have those regrets. And it's not as hard as you think. And uh, you just got to have this awareness and create this accountability. And, and, and any way you can do that is just, just that's, that is the, the move, in my opinion. So now the goal is to bring that 76% of people that in their life regretting inaction to a little bit down, you know, increase the minority that, that lives their life and ends their life and, and lays on their deathbed and thinks, hell yeah, you know what? I didn't achieve those things, but I, at least I tried. Yeah. Or, and some of them I did. And that was, that was awesome. Yeah, man. I love it. I, I want to um, respect your time, but two things. Number one, I want to let you know that tomorrow I leave to accomplish a bucket list item of mine that I've had for 44 years, which is to live in a foreign country for a month. And I'm moving to Mexico for a month. Oh, hell yeah. I love that. Yep. Tomorrow. Where, I, where, where are you going to go? My family and I are going to Oaxaca, Mexico for a while. Oh, such a good city, dude. Yeah. Such a good city. Yeah, man. So I'm, it's a bucket list item of mine is to live in a foreign country for a month. I've never done it before, and I'm doing it tomorrow. And I leave the 25th, and I get back the 25th of July. So congratulations. Yeah, man. A huge, huge, huge uh, goal of mine that's getting accomplished that I've had for a long time. And, and I appreciate, man, everything. You're, this is like, I could go for you with you for another hour easily. Um, but, dude, why don't we? end the show by telling everyone where they can connect with you, where they can buy the bucket list journal. It's just, just, just got released. Everyone needs to get this. I, it's an amazing book. I, I've, I've been going through it and it's, it's a really cool tool, but and anything else that you want to promote to the audience of how they can work with you or connect. It's just the best thing is you can get the journal on Amazon and, uh, or you can just go to my Instagram, which is at Ben Nempton, my full name. And you know, there's the, the link in the bio with the journal. There's, you know, also a good place to stay in touch. And, you know, I think whether you write your, your list in, in, in the bucket list journal, or I encourage you to just write it somewhere that you're going to keep, right? Like, so the journal, I think it's important that you, that you write it in, in a place that you're going to come back to that you kind of cherish, because as you grow, your list is going to grow and it's going to evolve over time. So you want it to continually add things, take things off you don't want to do anymore. And basically, the general structure is first, write your list in 10 categories. You can go to the Bucket List Journal website to look at those 10 categories. There's adventure travel, uh, mental health goals, physical health goals, intellectual goals, relationship goals. How do you want to give back, right? Like, that's a big one. 
So creative goals. Creativity is an often overlooked pillar of wellness, right? That talk about being true to yourself. When you're creative, you're you're, you're painting, playing music, you get into that flow state. That's you expressing who you truly are. It's so important to, to do those things. Yeah. So write your list in 10 categories. Then you want to start to create accountability. So you want to break down those 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 big goals into smaller steps. You want to you want to tag an accountability buddy, call them, tell them, keep you accountable. You want to set a deadline, set rewards, you want to identify why. And and then you start to track track those goals, share them with friends, identify fear, right? What's the real fear? What's the imagined fear? And uh, yeah, get after it. Yeah, man. It's such a great tool. I highly recommend everyone uh, get it. I'm actually, uh, you just motivated me to get it for my team. I'm going to do the, I'm going to do a weekly uh, session with my team where we do the bucket list journal together because, and I think that's great for any team out there. If you want to like motivate your, your, your teams or your family to do something like do it as a group to your point, built in accountability. Yeah. So uh, that, we'll put it in the show notes, but Epen Neptun on IG, the bucketlistjournal.com. Is that where they can buy it? Yeah. It says actually the buck it's uh it's bucketlistjournal.co, but the easiest thing is probably searching bucket list journal on Amazon. It'll be the first thing that pops up or my Instagram will send you there. So yeah, it's a it's it is a it's it's a phenomenal tool for for teams. Uber is using it to when they hire people to understand what the professional goals are, understand what the personal goals are. And there's this whole conversation around like in this world where it's harder to attract the right talent. Right. I think you need to invest in the full team member and, and care about them as a person, not just their professional markers, but their personal markers and, and what they feel like they need to be the person they need to be. So they feel that they can be that true expression of themselves at work and you can support them to do that. And it's not as hard as you think to help, help people achieve those things. As you said, you identify the goal and then check in on them. You're already checking yeah. in on the professional, right? That's why you have meetings, reviews, one-on-ones. So just insert the personal goal in there and then you can, they'll associate the success of that achievement, that personal achievement with you as a leader, with the company. And then you can help maybe subsidize those goals. Lululemon has a goal fund. You know, There's mm-hmm. all these companies that are doing cool things with helping people achieve their personal passion. So lots of, lots of cool ideas of how this affects culture and uh, leadership. Love it, man. Ben, gosh, it's been real and amazing. And I'm so grateful to get to have spent this time with you and to share your gifts to the world through the greatness machine. What you're doing is the definition of greatness and helping people live their passions to create greatness. There's no better gift I think you can give. So thank you so much, my friend. So much gratitude. Thanks, man. Super fun to have this conversation with you. And uh, let's stay in touch. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, guys. Peace out. We love you. Talk to you soon. You are listening to The Greatness Machine, and that's a wrap for today. Listen, if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on, and we're we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, 
I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. Appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the Podcast Princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.